John, I wanted to start this episode by first celebrating the life of one of the great all-time filmmakers, and that's the Czech director Milos Forman. Mm-hmm. Um, he sadly passed away this past weekend. Yes, and usually when this happens, we try to devote an episode to one of their movies. Unfortunately, just with the timing, it didn't quite work out this time. However, if you do appreciate Milos Forman as we do, uh, go back and revisit our old Amadeus episode. Mm-hmm. Also, there's not many episodes you could do about him because he only directed like 12 movies. <laughs> yeah, um, he wasn't he wasn't exactly prolific. I mean, he took his time between films, mm-hmm. uh, putting it lightly. Yeah. But he's, he's directed some of our favorites, Amadeus, uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which we're not, you know, we don't think deserved maybe five Oscars or whatever, but I think we admire it. <laughs> yep, he also did Man on the Moon and uh, People vs. Larry Flynn, so he's, he's had a very interesting career. Oh, yeah. And he's a very interesting filmmaker and definitely worth checking out. So mini yes. spotlight right at the top. So if, John, do we have something else to talk about? or <laughs> No, no. <laughs> let's, just well, I mean, gaze into the, let's just gaze into the void and con- uh, contemplate this uncaring, unfeeling universe. John, I, th- last week we left on, you were crippled by ennui, which mm-hmm. I couldn't understand. Again, you live in the most desirable uh, city in the entire United States of America. You have the love uh, of your life. You're about to get married in a year's time. Less than a year, actually. Hmm. What's what's this? You have you have my Sling TV. <laughs> we share an account. <laughs> what could you possibly have add, to be upset about? I also just added an HBO uh, subscription to my Hulu. So unbelievable! Up, John. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Exactly. So what's all this negative Nancyism? Like, uh, not to not to denigrate the great Nancys out there, who I'm sure are positive and lovely. <laughs> <laughs> it's because Greg, I'm a lover of art, and I art see. needs to challenge you. Okay. And art can't be happy. That's why artists <laughs> drink. Okay. <laughs> That's not true. They yeah, drink because sure alcohol is, is awesome. <laughs> the... <laughs> and it's not just our artists that do that. I mean, it's also blue-collar workers and uh, people in high finance, you know, all sorts of white-collar folk. I mean, everybody drinks because mm-hmm. it's the best. Point. Exactly. And you're a writer, so obviously you drink like a fish, right? Absolutely. Well, <laughs> you have your pocket flask right now? I, well, I have multiple flasks. I mean, just in case one, one runs dry. <laughs> You've got Slogan in that one, and then some sweet vermouth in there. <laughs> sweet vermouth? <laughs> yeah. John, what if I need to make a Manhattan, you know, right on the spot? With your pocket man martini glass? Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's collapsible. It's, yes. It's great for camping. Mm-hmm. I keep it in a little cooler because the glass has to be chilled. I mean, because come on, I'm not a Philistine. <laughs> I think they uh, that's that's the biggest problem with the movies. If you're going to have a character who has a flask, you need to specify what's actually in the flask. It could be vodka, could be rum, could be anything. That's true. It's like the I think the bigger problem are those scenes where they they saddle up to the bar and say, "Get me a beer." Oh, you know that that one beer that you have at this bar. <laughs> a generic movie beer, please. Yeah. Thank you. It's my favorite. Yeah, I wish I could remember the name of the prop beer that they have. Um, there's a very particular name for it. I think it's called a Big Red, right? Big Red Apple or something I like know. that. <laughs> no, I think uh, that's that's Apple cigarettes. I know is Quentin Tarantino's yes. thing because he doesn't do product placement. So he's, mm-hmm. he's through his uh, creative, creatively, uh, his, his creative well overfloweth, and he came up with his own <laughs> brand of cigarettes. What I want to know is who would pay for product placement in a Quentin Tarantino film. Between all the N-words, who would be like, yes, fit our product in there, please? Um, the American Red Cross, I think. Oh, Greg. Greg. Sorry, my, my mind went to Kill Bill. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> Actually, his last couple of films, uh, uh, Django Unchained and... Uh, 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 what's it called? The Hateful Eight, that's the one. The Hateful Eight, yes. Yeah. Copious <laughs> amounts of N-words, good job. Yes, uh, and copious <laughs> amounts of blood, too, I mean. 
There were scenes in which uh, real squibs, you know, shoot off. I'm sure, you know, a lot of doctors were nay-naying those scenes. <laughs> Excuse me, the common body doesn't have that much blood. Uh, yeah. It doesn't burst out like that unless you had a femoral artery or something like that. Mm. So which they clearly do not, unless <laughs> unless it's located in the, in, the, in the stomach. I don't think so. <laughs> Speaking of fake blood. <laughs> Perfect segue. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, I guess we'll I guess we'll talk about the production challenges of our of the film we're discussing this week. Yes, because this week we watched our second Werner Herzog film, Agira, the Wrath of God. Did you like the stank I put on that? Uh, it was okay. Uh, what? No, oh, come on. <laughs> I practiced that I know, mirror well, like five times this morning. I, well, it's not as fun to say as Fitzcarraldo. Yeah, good point. Good yeah. point. <laughs> Speaking of which, these two films do bear a striking similarity. Really? What? How so? <laughs> well, it's kind of like um, Alien and Aliens. Mm-hmm. In that uh, they kind of follow the same beats exactly. Just uh, kind of very different films. Uh, one is a little more rough shot. Uh, I the other one, I, I hesitate to say beats. Cause you think so? Okay. My major problem with both these movies is they don't feel so much written and directed by Werner Herzog as they do cobbled together by whatever footage we could capture because the production was probably a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. So it was written and directed by nature, John. Okay. <laughs> Which I think is a huge, a huge message in all of his movies. I mean, this is Excellent this point. is Werner Herzog's wheelhouse, which is man confronting the absolute indifference and horror of nature. <laughs> <laughs> like any true artist, he doesn't create anything. He just gathers all the elements and arranges them. Exactly. So yes, both movies are very similar because they center around a character played by Kraus Kinski, who, um, through his hubris, thinks he can conquer the South American jungle. Well, yeah, he's got this impossible dream. In the case of Fitzcarraldo, it's bringing a opera house to the jungles of Peru. And in the case of Aguirre, the Wrath of God, it's finding the mythical city of El Dorado. Mm -hmm. And uh, things go about as well as you'd <laughs> suspect they would. <laughs> yeah, I I gotta say, from the from the opening shots, I was gripped. I was like, yes, Mr. Herzog, take me, <laughs> Herr Herzog, take me on this journey. <laughs> because um, unlike, unlike Fitzcarraldo, like here we start, we're kind of in medias res. Yeah. Um, we see th the fog is rolling in over these gorgeous Andes. There, uh, there's a group of about 200 natives and Spanish soldiers. I guess we'll get to the the little contrast in that this is a German film depicting mm -hmm. a Spanish expedition. Mm -hmm. So, th but they're descending this incredible peak and and traversing this incredible jungle. I was like, yes, I was so ready to go on this journey. Yes. It, it is quite a a fun little establishing shot. But yeah. again, in contrast to uh, 
Fitzcarraldo, which feels like the Shawshank Redemption in terms of how upbeat this movie is, <laughs> because we kind of start immediately with this death march. There's really no other way to describe it. It's also a much more subdued movie and much more cynical. And yeah, I kind of wish it kind of had more of that levity that Fitzcarraldo has, or at least that kind of like optimism, because Klaus Klinski is uh, giving a kind of surprisingly subdued performance. <laughs> I, th- I think so, and yeah, I think I, that owes the huge production difficulties, which we'll get to later. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I wanted to preface that by saying that, yes, I was ready to go on this journey, but as the story progresses, you're right, there isn't that optimism. No. You're not feeling that same, that same, you're not, you're not as invested in the journey of Agira and, the, and these poor folks who are, again, looking for the mythical and non-existent city of El Dorado mm-hmm. as you are in... Fitzcarraldo's impossible dream of bringing an opera house to Peru. Well, it's because Fitzcarraldo is at least relatable, and you kind of feel sorry for him. And again, he kind of comes off as more of like a lovable buffoon, as opposed to Agira, colon, mm-hmm. the wrath of God. <laughs> he, uh, Agira, he, comma. Li- sorry, sorry to correct you, yes. it's a comma, not a, not a comma. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> Who's the real Nazi now? God. Yeah. <laughs> um, he, he obviously is the villain of the piece, and not that we kind of get that sense immediately, but, you know, we already kind of know at the, at the beginning he's not really on the level. Even though he's much more quiet, he's much more subdued, we kind of see his scheming behind the scenes. Yeah, and it's, you're right, he's not exactly established as a villain, but what I didn't like is that he's not even, he doesn't seem invested in the journey initially. I think his first no. lines are about uh, traversing this huge river. Mm-hmm. Or at least this this rapid section of the Amazon, and he says like, "No, I don't want to proceed any further." And I, mm-hmm. I was thinking like, that's not exactly what you want in a character, especially one who's supposed to grip our attention in the way Agira is. Well, I mean, that's the question: Is he the main character? Because again, the story isn't told from his perspective. <laughs> no, it's it's about this this whole group of people. Um, the one I really latched onto, and he provides the voiceover narration, is this brother, uh, this padre, uh, mm-hmm. named Carv- Carvajal. Yeah, exactly. And he's the closest we have to a main character. He's the relatable one. He is earnest. He wants to go into the jungle. He wants to spread the message of God. He wants to convert the natives. He doesn't really care about the city of gold. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're right. We do get this kind of uh, this cavalcade of characters who slowly kind of uh, come to unfortunate ends, shall we say? <laughs> well, I mean, not, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I've, I will say, yes, we do get... We have some very clear motivations. However, they're they're very disparate. Mm. So we have on one hand Carval, Car, Carvajal. I'm gonna get the name right because I keep getting <laughs> names wrong in these in these old movies. <laughs> I'm drinking that delicious Carvajal out of my flask. <laughs> <laughs> we have Carvajal who obviously wants to spread God's word. We have uh, Agira who wants to find the city of who wants to find the city of gold, but also keeps making reference to Cortez and his conquering of Mexico. And mm. it's clear that he also uh, strives for the glory that Cortez has. Oh, absolutely. He's extremely yeah. vain. Yeah, so we have that as well. And then, but kind of the other side characters are just trying to survive. Um, the one I, I really like is a uh, is a Moor, a, uh, a black slave named Akello. Mm-hmm. And and he, again, he's he's kind of um, like like Carvajal. He's a little more subdued in this circumstance. However, like he likes like a lot of a lot of the other soldiers and slaves in this situation are just trying to survive. 
Yeah, but also you kind of get the sense of like shifting motivations as things go along. Uh, halfway through the movie, um, there is kind of a mutiny. Agira leads a mutiny and kind of kills the lord who was in charge. And mm-hmm. instead of being like, I'm in charge now, what does he do? He puts someone else in charge. <laughs> and he puts in um, Don Fernando de Guzman. Yes, I, I just call him the emperor because they. <laughs> yes, they, they, they haven't even found. Yeah, they haven't even found the El Dorado yet, but they declare him the emperor of uh, El Dorado when they get there. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I like his kind of transformation because again, Aguirre leads this mutiny, mm-hmm. and he's basically like, you know, who's in charge now? You, Guzman, you're in charge. <laughs> and he's like, what? Excuse me? And again, yeah. he hasn't really been a presence much through the beginning of the movie, but as it progresses... Well, I, I disagree. I think he's. I think he lends a, a heavy presence to the story. Excuse me? <laughs> Excuse me? In contrast, well, we should explain for Guzman... There's something about his character. There's so much weight to him. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I believe they do mention that he had some heroism in previous battles and expeditions and things like that. Okay. However, it, it's clear that he's past his prime, and... Mm. Um, yeah, he's he's lending a lot of weight to the story. He's clearly the heaviest person there, <laughs> and also in the in those opening scenes, like uh, also struggles to kind of keep up. It looks like. Yeah, but what's interesting is like he doesn't really have much of a presence at the beginning of the story, and when he's put into power, he seems mm-hmm. like he's gonna be a good leader. Like he wants to have a, a trial. He wants yeah. to give people due process, even though Gira's like, no, we should just kill him. You know, they need to have that threat of violence. Yeah. Um, but he's like, no, 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 let's be level-headed about this. But as the story progresses and as things get more and more kind of dire, he kind of transforms into your kind of stereotypical ruler. He's like, no, give me all the food. I deserve all the food. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's interesting you say that because, like, as as much as this is the most one of the most beautifully photographed and produced movies I've ever seen, mm-hmm. I wish they could kind of lend more to the story because, like, I felt like you mentioned, you referenced a trial. There's another character named Ursua, mm-hmm. who, uh, who, who um, tries to, who enables a villain to escape, or at least mm-hmm. somebody, a deserter to escape. And so um, he's brought to trial. Uh, Agira wants to sentence him to death. However, Guzman offers him clemency. Mm-hmm. And it's here, actually, it's when the story is static. I, I got a little bored. <laughs> Really? And it could have been yes, and it could have been because well, they have this production challenge. Like uh, they mentioned at one point, the river floods like fifteen feet, and they lost all their sets and rafts and things like that. Yeah, and so like I think in the mid- maybe in the middle of filming, he's like, okay, I got to add some plot complication to the story. Why not just add this trial here, where <laughs> where like at least we can stay in one location. Whereas See, really, I wanted th- I wanted them to continue the journey and maybe no, just the production. I felt the exact opposite. I felt really? like whenever they stopped and had a complication, it was like holy crap. There's real character moments now. The other one, the first time it actually kind of happens, is when they stop for the night. They set up camp, but one raft kind of gets lost and gets stuck in a jetty. It gets stuck in like a little ebb, yeah. so it's kind of just like spinning around. Mm-hmm. And then like we'll set a, another expedition. We'll get on the other side of the river and we'll help them. And night passes, and they hear a bunch of uh, explosions. The explosions in this movie. We'll we'll get to the editing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, they hear a bunch of explosions, and they think, oh, they must be trying to signal us. And then they wake up the next morning, and everyone on the raft is dead. Well, I believe they were killed by natives, weren't they? There are arrows in them. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought like one of well them got killed. Like one of them killed the rest of them and escaped. Okay. Oh, you might be right. I mean, it's like, but that's the great thing about it is so it's so ambiguous, and it's also showing how they're slow, all slowly kind of turning on each other. Yeah, I, the ambiguity's fine. 
Mm-hmm. I just wish they were, there was more kind of uh, texture to those moments. Like getting back to Guzman, mm-hmm. it, he, he slowly transitions, it, well, slowly. It does take place over the course of one scene where he is, uh, becomes like a gluttonous ruler who just takes all the food for himself. Yeah. And then in the very next scene, we, we, he goes to the outhouse. Um, this is established earlier. There's a little outhouse on this, on this, on this creaky raft that they built. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, love, I love the production quality of that when they're walking around. And like literally their puddles are, or their feet are in the puddles inside the raft. It's mm-hmm. barely floating at this point. And they're like eating the moss that grows on the bottom underside of the raft. I thought yeah. that was also a nice little touch. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how did no one get sick doing this yes. film? Come on. Well, yeah, according to the trivia, I'm sure. I'm sure yeah. there was unannounced malaria, undiagnosed malaria, and a few other things. <laughs> but uh, after he goes to the outhouse, they they find uh, he's dead. He dies. But they don't exactly explain the circumstance of that. I mean, he could have. It could have been dysentery. It could have been any number of the diseases. No, that he they got faced. choked. But yes, yeah, so you see, see there's somebody. Somebody chokes him to death. There's something wrapped around his throat. Yeah. But. You know, well, again, you never they see also exactly set it up. Is. The brother, the brother is like he's not going to make it that much longer. Because again, the big thing that he does, which kind of causes this mutiny, is he lets a horse go. He's just tired of dealing with the horse on the raft. Oh yeah. So he just lets it go, and uh, the brother makes the point where it's like, well, the horse would have been great for battle, and if not, we could have at least eaten it. Instead, he's yeah. just like, I'm tired of dealing with this horse. Throw it in the river. Well, I yeah, but again, it's never. Not only do well, it's fine if we don't see it or whatever, but it's never kind of brought up again. Mm. And I feel like it's those little story beats that we're kind of missing. Or I, I, we should say the the movie's only ninety five minutes. I wish it was maybe one hundred and twenty five minutes. Mm. Like we could have had a couple more scenes to really br- bring texture to it. For the other, th- uh, we should also mes- mention something else that really motivates Agira is that he's traveling with his daughter. Yeah, which doesn't really come up all that much. No, I mean, there are some scenes where he, he's caring for her. There are two women on this expedition, and they're, and they're treated like royalty. Mm-hmm. Um, they're carried in these little, you know, canopies. Uh, they're well looked after. But those are only, like, 30-second interludes where he uh, Agira goes over to his daughter, you know, just, you know, seemingly, wordlessly cares for her, you know, just making yeah, sure that she's Yeah, do the women okay. even get any lines in this movie? I don't <laughs> even remember. <laughs> well, maybe, again, that was another production issue, because I... This is a German production shot in English and then having to be dubbed over later. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people, I think every cla- uh, every cast member was speaking, has a different native tongue. So yeah. who knows how they how they communicated and interacted. Well, and, and again, it's like I said, it's like this movie was clearly cobbled together by what footage they had. Mm-hmm. So you're right. Absolutely. It would be nice if they had more story beats, yeah. kind of. But it's like, again, Werner Herzog probably got what he could. Yes, <laughs> without everyone dying. <laughs> I know, but still, like stunning footage. Like I was amazed oh, yes. by not only those opening shots, but later when we when we're on the raft, it physically feels like we are on the raft with them. <laughs> mm-hmm. There, there's rain on the lens, and and literally, like I don't like those kind of fourth wall breaking things, but like I literally felt like you're you're on the Amazon with these folks. No, yeah, that final scene where Agira's left alone on the raft, and it's like he must have used a speedboat or something, but they're spinning around the raft. Mm-hmm. That was like fantastic. I love that. Yeah. No, now, I mean, no, he clearly has an eye for cinematography. I think that's Werner Herzog's greatest strength, and that's why he's, you know, obviously a great documentary filmmaker on top of being a great narrative filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Speaking of those production 
issues. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there are some things that do take you out of the film, especially in the final act. Um, the editing. The editing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to bring up the blood. You, you brought up the blood. Which... Yes, the, the blood is... It looks like ketchup. It's really bad. I, yeah, any aspiring filmmakers out there, again, cornstarch, red food coloring. That's... That's a all good facsimile. Need. Yeah, all yes. you need. That's a good facsimile. This looked like marinara sauce. <laughs> and it sucks because it's meant for the most dramatic scenes. Like yeah. someone gets caught in a trap, and then someone looks behind him to kind of see where he went, and then the blood is dripping on him. But again, it looks like ketchup. Yeah. <laughs> for a second, I was, you know, it's supposed to be a scary, tense scene, but it's like I'm completely taken out of it. And then the editing, you know... Ugh, it's like best of the worst quality. It's like you know, you see that harsh cut, and then there's someone, there's an arrow in someone's leg. Yeah, and it's uh, like I, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, you referenced best of the worst, which is a show we talked about on this program before, or mm-hmm. program this podcast before, <laughs> um, about uh, these cup, these really funny film critics who look at these old B movies. Mm-hmm. And you're right, there are some kind of because this was made in the early '70s. There are some B movie qualities to it. <laughs> Yeah. Not just in the production value, but also I wanted to bring up two moments. There's one where uh, I believe it's Akello gets shot with an arrow by some hostile natives. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just a it's just a hard cut, like the arrow's already in there. And he throws off like a pithy line or something like that. Like, oh, uh, long arrows must be in vogue right now. Uh, kind of. I mean, yeah. the idea is the fact that he's he, he's convinced himself that he's hallucinating. And he's kind of so far gone, he gets shot and he doesn't even think it's really happening to him. Like, yeah, he doesn't but, even feel the pain. So yeah, I kind but, of appreciated that for, like, maybe the dreamlike quality that he was trying to capture. But, yeah, it's <laughs> no, not done well. <laughs> no, it's a, it's, well, no, because it's like a, it's like a cosmopolitan line. It's like something, oh, okay. it's like something a writer would come up with instead oh, of, okay. <laughs> instead of an actual, like, person. And then there's another moment like that where a character in their duper, like, a character gets beheaded. <laughs> oh, that's the worst. Yeah. <laughs> so he's, like, he's planning a mutiny. Yeah. And he's, like, counting down. He's, like, he's drawing a map in the sand. And they know he's committing the mutiny. So, like, Agira gives someone the order. It's, like, go kill him. Yeah. And so he's, like, counting down. He's, like, counting from, like, 1 to 10. And as he's counting, one of the s- soldiers comes up, swings his knife, and cuts his head off. But, again, it's it's done. He's in, in the middle of, of this countdown. Yeah. And he's, it's done with this horrible cut. Yeah, and then we just see this head, and it's clearly the actor like buried up from his head down. And yeah. His last li- his last line, ten, yeah. and then he dies. <laughs> oh, John, John, you gave it more gravity than the actor did. <laughs> okay, because <laughs> again, it's it's something silly that you would see in a in a B grade horror movie. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Not again at the very beginning. Like I'm so invested in this journey because it literally this could have been like a literal documentary mm-hmm. of folks recreating this you know 16th century journey through the Amazon. And now I'm watching like you know, I don't a know, bad like VHS. Texas, yeah, Texas Chainsaw Massacre <laughs> stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of unfortunate. Yeah. So well, I mean, and in spite of those moments, I still, I was still somewhat enraptured mm-hmm. by by the not only the cinematography, the production design. I mean, to get back to positives, like things like the costumes. Like, yeah, the like costumes kind are of, great. Yeah, They're... like authentic rust on a Gears helmet. Something stuff like that really drew me in. Yeah, it's like you can tell that at one point they probably were very colorful and ornate, but again, they've been traveling through the jungle for so long. Everything's torn, everything's muted, everything's like falling apart. Mm -hmm. And that's a big point they keep bringing up is the fact that, you know, no more rust on the cannon. Like, they've been traveling with this massive cannon, and it's been in and out of the river, like, for God knows how many days. And they keep saying, like, got to keep it clean, you know, keep the rust off it. Yeah. Can we get to Agira's final moments? Absolutely. 
because I don't know. Again, I, my overall impression is positive, in spite of the little little niggles that we brought up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there is and there is a kind of a, a niggle at the end, and I think it really speaks to kind of Klaus Kinski's performance. And then I expected it to be wild and like literally representative of quote the wrath of God. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, only... see, we saw Fitzcarraldo before we saw this, so we know yeah. what Klaus Kinski's really like. <laughs> yeah. In addition to reading all the IMDb trivia and mm-hmm. the Wikipedia pages on uh, Klinsky and his behavior behind the scenes as well. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> but there, there's only one scene where I think he really portrays that kind of menace, and that's when he, he announces that he's the wrath of God, and, and the Herzog like frames it like he's literally looking down the barrel of the lens. <laughs> mm-hmm. At his uh, crew, and I, th- I felt like that really, that really demonstrated the 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 monster behind this guy. Mm-hmm. Not only his ego and and all the other, you know, negative tr- negative aspects of him, but at the end, I feel I feel like it never came together though. Like I expected him to, you know, kind of carry out a massacre or, you know, desperately continue searching for the city of El Dorado in spite of like his literally his whole crew dying around him. See, but, I kind of, I kind of appreciate the fact that he was the last one left alive, and instead of well, no, I mean, like yeah, the kind movie's of named last... after him. It's what you expect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the fact that he's the last one alive, instead of like one big last charge, he kind of again just takes this moment to kind of again inflate his own ego. It's like, yes, I am the wrath of God. <laughs> you know, I think it would have been kind of a little bit out of character if he's like leads this one last massive charge or does this one last dramatic moment. Instead, he just kind of like saunters around the raft like again like a kind of caged dog you know like he has no power I, left. i don't know yeah i don't know I, I didn't see it i or at least i didn't get that it's funny you said saunter so he does have this very distinct gait mm-hmm. um it's supposed to signal a limp that he got from a previous battle but instead it's kind of like he's drunk <laughs> or something yeah <laughs> it's it's just a little off kilter mm-hmm. instead it, it it seemed to be just a little more i don't like again i use that word cosmopolitan like something something from a different era Rather than maybe what what the filmmakers intended to convey. Well, maybe that's to the the point is the fact that again we're showing these kind of these Spanish these Spaniards who are obviously from a different world, literally kind mm-hmm. of grown up in a more pampered cosmopolitan environment, and they're not suited for the jungle. They're not suited for the savage native land. Maybe, yeah. I mean, that's, you're right. I, that line doesn't make, that cosmopolitan line doesn't come out of the you know, come out of Okello, okay? Because again, he's supposed to be a slave. He's not yeah. supposed to be very erudite. <laughs> yeah. And and maybe I expect out of Guzman, who as as they announced earlier, is a war hero and probably has been pampered mm-hmm. in the way that maybe Agira hasn't. So. Mm. But also, you we're underselling how many cute animals there are in this movie. There's so many <laughs> cute animals. All the you're animals, right. you guys. I, you're right. I mean, it's. It, it, that final scene is also not only is it brilliant just from the production design again it feels like just we're on the raft of the gira with all this death surrounding him mm-hmm. and monkeys <laughs> just a million monkeys just yeah. millions of monkeys <laughs> and again the kind of uh quintessential shot is you know he's like kind of following all these monkeys they're all scattering away and he eventually just grabs one and he kind of like holds it and the monkey's like scared and again it yeah. shows like his idea of like i am wrathful i am vengeance and then he just kind of like throws it away <laughs> yeah I, I i do worry I, i'm sure many animals were harmed in the making oh of this absolutely <laughs> this did not get the humane yeah. society's seal of approval no so trigger warning for any animal lovers out there mm-hmm. but he has there's one scene where he has a little sloth 
And he's like showing his daughter his oh, like, that's this, yeah. this stupid animal sleeps all day. <laughs> yeah, it sleeps its whole life. <laughs> it's adorable. I, I can't remember the last time I saw a little baby sloth. I guess they, that is one one moment where he does connect with his daughter somewhat. Mm-hmm. You see that there's there's a loving man behind this uh, wrathful faca- facade. <laughs> well, that is also kind of an interesting transformation. Is obviously he loves his daughter, but then as he starts going more and more crazy. He mm-hmm. kind of like, I'm going to marry my daughter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have the exact line here. Uh, I, the wrath of God, will marry my own daughter. And with her, I will found the purest dynasty the world has ever seen. Together Ew. we shall rule the entire continent. <laughs> we shall endure. I am the wrath of God. Who else is with me? <laughs> and ironically, nobody else is with him because they're all dead. <laughs> Except the monkeys. He should have started with an army of monkeys. <laughs> I know. <sighs> if only. I know. Instead, he Warner? throws them off the raft. So, such a Werner, cool, call man. us. We can. We could have punched up your script a little bit. Absolutely. Where is the Werner Herzog Monkey Army movie? <laughs> When's he gonna do a Planet of the Apes movie? Come on, he should do the next one. That would be great. <laughs> well, John, look out for his next documentary. Okay. Oh, oh, oh what yeah. is it? I, uh, I don't know. I'm just. Uh, let me let me think of something real quick. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. All right. <laughs> yeah. It's being shot in Africa. <laughs> Racist. Yeah, like no, like Timothy. There are monkeys in Africa. All right, (laughs) let me let me run on this. It'll take me a few hours. Give me a few hours, and I'll come up with a run on this. Greg's a writer. He needs time. Okay. Yes, exactly. He needs to take a nip of a few flasks. Make his Manhattan is like I am ready to type. I know. Unlike Werner Herzog, I can't just I can't just complete a first draft in days, (laughs) and then just go right to the jungle and abandon it. (laughs) Exactly. See, yeah, and that's the other thing. Like. Oh, you wrote the script in two days? Well, it shows, Mr. Herzog. Okay. <laughs> I, I do like that he, like, again, he's a manic artist, and he equates, like, filmmaking with breathing. Like, he has to do it. Mm-hmm. So I do love that about him, and I do love his commitment to his craft. So even if, again, maybe in the preparation side of it, uh, is diminished somewhat because of that. <laughs> well, and again, like, there's one of my favorite scenes or one of kind of like my favorite shots is there it's towards the end mm-hmm. they're going down the river and they see a canoe in a tree like literally oh, not just a canoe yeah a whole ship with a canoe hanging off it exactly and it's like and again it's like it's a it's a sign that it's like oh they're crazy they're hallucinating but no it's actually real and yeah they just don't realize it but also reading the trivia it was apparently an abandoned b-plot <laughs> where it's like he originally had a plan to actually use that boat and have mm-hmm. that be part of the story but he was just like eh, it's too much trouble let's just yeah. leave it up there and <laughs> have it look like something crazy
Yeah, it's so. a it's a fascinating journey down the Amazon <laughs> with this Agira guy. Yep. Oh, this Agira fellow, he's so he's so crafty. He's so wily. I, know. I I don't know, John. I don't think he's on the level. What? Yeah. I think I'm, I'm, he could be my best fiend. Great one. I think I think you've you've referenced that before in our Fitzcarraldo episode. Yes, and I history did. is just repeating itself. We're in we're running in circles. Mission accomplished. You know, it's a flat circle. Time is a flat circle. Indeed, it is. Mm-hmm. Right, John, are we just destined to repeat these things over and over again? <sighs> Maybe we are. Maybe we need to break the cycle. Oh, I don't. I disagree. I think we need to. <laughs> I think we need to maintain the cycle by bringing oh, okay. back right. our signature section. Spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time! Greg, what do you have for Spotlight? I went first last week. This is true. And I've got so much I want to talk about. I've seen a lot of little independent movies, uh, both in theaters and on streaming services like Netflix. I have a lot to talk about, but I don't want to talk about any of them right now, because I need to tell you about Conan in Italy. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, This this seems a little self-indulgent, Greg, don't you think? Why? I mean, Samantha B went to freaking Puerto Rico. Okay, <laughs> this is true. Um, well, I, I should say I think Conan O'Brien started this trend. Um, mm-hmm. He does some great remote segments. He was inspired by David Letterman to get away from the desk in his, in his late might. I, I, I should probably start out front. I'm a huge Conan O'Brien fan. <laughs> I can't tell you how many. <laughs> is hours anyone I've... surprised? Is yeah. anyone surprised? <laughs> I can't tell you how many hours I've devoted to his segments on YouTube, <laughs> rewatching them <laughs> over and over and over again. <laughs> And his best segments are when he gets away from the desks and does these little remote sections. And I think starting in 2015, he started to do these world travels. Mm-hmm. Um, starting in Cuba, when they kind of opened up relations again. And um, since Trump was elected president, he's tried to um, bring, a, bring a little attention to the plight of uh, foreign folks, um, in spite of our president's America's first agenda. So he went down to Mexico and took up a collection for the wall that obviously isn't being paid for by Mexico. <laughs> Um, he went to Haiti after uh, it was announced uh, after Trump declared it a shithole country. Um, so, and, you know, so it seems like he's a, a politically motivated to go to all these trips. So why Italy? Why now? <laughs> that's that's the thing about this latest trip. Um, there is no greater social <laughs> social idea behind it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. He literally, uh, I think they literally had this on the schedule, and they went to Italy because of his very special relationship he has with an associate producer named Jordan Schlansky. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I should say one of the best also running gags that he's had in, I don't know, his 20 plus years in late night has been his relationship with this associate producer who doesn't appear to do anything on the show. <laughs> However, they find a great foil between Conan O'Brien's antics and Jordan Schlansky's deadpan, dead-eyed personality. <laughs> And they, uh, over the course of their relationship, uh, Conan found a- found out that uh, Schlansky, in spite of his last name and being born in Long Island, is a huge, uh, huge Italian file. He loves oh. the country and has been been there thirty times. Um, has all these pretensions about uh, being a wine lover and a connoisseur of a uh, soprasetta and you know fine Italian cuisine. All right, all right. So this time they went together, and I think it's. Um, I think the excision of any, you know, serious grave moments, like uh, like when they went to Armenia with his assistant, they they actually had to acknowledge the Armenian genocide. Or when they went to Berlin, uh, he wanted to bring attention to the plight of uh, Syrian refugees in the country because mm-hmm. Angela Merkel has opened up the country. Here, there's none of that. It's all just goofiness all the time. <laughs> so Conan O'Brien is Steve Coogan. 
Yeah. <laughs> yes, I think. Yeah, I think that's a good. No, uh, no, I think he's the Rob Brydon in the situation. Okay, fair. <laughs> yeah, there, there's some uh, there's some darkness behind Steve Coogan in the way that there's some major, major flaws in the personality of George Slansky. <laughs> what? Come on. <laughs> I mean, it, so they're just fascinating characters together, and I think I think what that's what really enhances this particular trip in that it's it's got no broader message to convey, and it is just the goofiness between these two. Mm-hmm. Um, the best segment, I think, because these are broken up into segments where they do something fun. Like uh, on his Cuba trip, he obviously went to a rum tasting. Mm-hmm. Um, on his Berlin trip, he went to um, he. Uh, not to, not to culturally stereotype, but he did go to a dominatrix and you know <laughs> try to participate in in uh, you know something that's I don't know uniquely German maybe I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, okay, I thought he went to the dominatrix in Cuba. I was no. like, no, you go to a donkey show in Cuba. <laughs> First of all, that's Tijuana. All right, get your get your cultural stereotypes right. <laughs> You're right. Oh, I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> so this not, uh, the best segments when they go to a wine tasting. <laughs> And uh, Jordan is uh, bioevading about like these these nonsense. He throws out these nonsense phrases like that are supposed to be profound, and obviously Conan calls him out on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's another great moment wherein uh, the way Jordan swirls the wine against the stone countertop creates this very annoying noise, and it's one of the few moments where jo- uh, Conan actually gets annoyed with Jordan. <laughs> So it's just filled with again just hysterical moments, just endlessly funny five minute five minute bits on that you can digest on YouTube. So okay, I can't I can't recommend it enough. And again, right. it came out this it came out this past Wednesday or I guess a week before this came out. So again, watch it now. Keep it trending. Keep it alive. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Team Coco. Is that still a thing? Oh, of course it's still a thing, John. It's yeah. it's available at Team Coco slash Conan in Italy. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm I'm not sure if that's the exact URL, but mm-hmm. okay. Yep. Is it better or worse than when they did an escape room together? Ooh, that's a that's a good one though. Yeah. Uh, I overall because it's about the journey, <laughs> <laughs> not necessarily the destination, but the journey through Italy itself. I'd say I'd say the trip to Italy was better. What about and it climaxes? And it climaxes while we're mentioning Aguirre of the Wrath of God, a, a classic film restored by Janus Films. Um, they do do uh, a little parody of a classic Italian movie called Due Bifuni. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> yes. A record center at Cannes, the fastest rejection letter ever received. <laughs> what? <laughs> when are we going to visit that one for a future episode? I, just, I don't know. I, we're visiting it right now. <laughs> oh, okay. There you go. Yeah. All right. mm-hmm. That's all that needs to be said about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Shades of Fellini in there. <laughs> okay. But John, I mean, again, yeah, I clearly have the stupidest spotlight. <laughs> let's let's bring attention to something that's already, you know, tearing up the internet. Yes. And we'll be forgotten about in a week. What what do you have for spotlight, John? Give us something give us something of substance, of gravity. Well, Greg, when you whenever you watch a Herzog film, you probably get very existential. You're probably like, What is the meaning of life? Absolutely. What are we all doing? Where are we all going? What mm. is the point of human existence? Well, thankfully, I have a show that answers that for you, and it's streaming really? on Netflix right now. Okay. It's called The Santa Clarita Diet. Oh. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> Again, I want to I overcome my personal prejudices, but I see these shows, and I'm like, nope, not for me. <laughs> it's, it's, I think you would actually really appreciate it because it does have this kind of like heightened reality 30 Rock level quality to it. Whoa, 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 whoa. Don't throw out those comparisons lightly, my friend. <laughs> 
No show can be 30 Rock, okay? <laughs> Sadly, in Greg's mind, this is completely true. I know he means that earnestly. I do, absolutely. I, I 100% mean that earnestly. <laughs> so, again, continue, but you're on thin ice here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Throwing out comparisons to 30 Rock willy-nilly. <laughs> So it stars Drew Barrymore and Tim Lee Oliphant as the Hammonds. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of real estate agents in this uh, kind of Orange it's an ex- County. It's an ex- no, it's an exurb in uh, north of Los Angeles. Yeah, it's a, it's an Orange County esque town. Yeah, and uh, they both kind of settled into a nice little rut for themselves, which unfortunately has to change when it turns out Sheila turns out to be a zombie. She, okay. Uh, there's really no explanation for it. It's not a. They we kind of. That's kind of the overarching plot as we kind of realize where and how she became a zombie, but it's not like it's kind of a huge mystery. It's kind of just like, oh, it just happened. And again, like all great uh, metaphor, like all great zombie-related things, <laughs> zombieism is a metaphor for getting a new lease on life because really? she had to die so that she could live again. Uh-huh. Because as soon as she becomes a zombie, she kind of has this new lust for life. She wants to get out there. She wants to exercise more. She has all this energy. And it kind of throws a wrench in their relationship because Timothy Oliphant, who is actually fantastic on this show, he's so, he has like this weird kind of like manic energy because again, so much of the humor comes from the fact that they're covering up the fact that she eats human flesh. Okay. So he has this kind of like great quality to him where he can't like quite hide that not everything is perfect. All right. Um, I, maybe that's playing to his strength because I think, I think there's a smarm behind him and he's, he's kind of a one note actor. Mm. From from what I've seen him in, like between Justified and oh, absolutely, on, yeah. yeah. I mean, no, you're 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 absolutely not wrong, but it's like <laughs> it kind of it works here because again, it's a it's a much different tone than what we're used to seeing him in. We're used to seeing him in like Deadwood and like you know serious gunslinger shit, and here he's like you know just kind of like a manic like <laughs> everything's fine. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, he's still smarmy, he's still sarcastic as hell, but I I think he's great. <laughs> he's just so charming. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah, but again, what about Miss Barrymore, John? Uh, Hollywood she's, royalty. Uh, she's fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think this you, you sound convincing. I mean, yeah. The, the, the series gets better. The pilot's pretty rough because, well, as with every show, I mean, it, uh, yeah, there's no pilot that's actually good. Let's be honest. Yeah. Besides, maybe the exception of Lost, because again, they put so much money into it. Yeah. Um, the pilot doesn't really work because, again, she's supposed to be kind of like low energy, which Drew Barrymore just doesn't do. Mm-hmm. But once she actually becomes zombified, it's like, hey, back to normal Drew Barrymore. And, of course, she's having a lot of fun. And, again, it's very sarcastic. It's very quippy. Um, the humor comes at you a mile a minute. So I think that's really why it works for Netflix because, again, you can rewatch it as many times as you want. Um, and, again, it does have this kind of like underpinning about, you know, kind of suburbia-influenced ennui. Is the fact that you know uh, Joel? Joel is a uh, Timothy Oliphant's character. He kind of thought that their lives were kind of finally kind of achieving perfection. He was kind mm-hmm. of he liked the lull that they had finally achieved in. And now that there's thrown a, they've Drew Barrymore's character has thrown a wrench in it. He kind of has to like struggle where it's like, but I'm I'm the man. You're supposed to take care of me. It's there is kind of this, this oh I see this sense of like male entitlement. Where it's okay. like now he has to kind of be the one to kind of like take care of his wife and kind of settle things and make sure maintain the domestic back. life exactly exactly mm-hmm. so I I think that's very interesting okay so it has kind of and like it's so hard to make zombies interesting and what I, also what I like about it is the fact that there's actually very few zombies in it 
I think well, in two seasons, now there's two seasons on Netflix, I think only like four people have been turned into zombies. Or at least well, four people have been revealed to be zombies the whole time. I don't know. It's, yeah. so it's, and there's no like grander threat of like apocalypse or something like that. Like, um, mm. like there's another kind of show very uh, reminiscent of this on the CW called iZombie. Where yeah. that eventually kind of settles into like, oh no, it's a zombie apocalypse. But it's like here, it's, you know, it's all about maintaining that facade of like perfect suburban bliss. Okay. Yeah. I, I, that's what you mentioned the zombie thing. That's what I couldn't quite square about the promotional materials. Like, because mm-hmm. it looked more like a, like a death becomes her. Great reference there. Way to go, Greg. <laughs> um, I, I won't kind lie. Kind of situation instead of like, because when I picture zombies, I think of somebody like decaying sort of. And with okay. this, it's more like a, like they're like a, they're still a, they still have their personality or whatever, but they desperately need this nutrition in the form of human flesh. Okay, so ninety percent of the humor comes from the fact that yes, she needs to be fed human flesh, and how they're going to get that. The other ten yeah. percent is yes, she is also decaying, and there oh, she is, is some okay. kind of gross-out humor, like she'll be taking a bubble bath, and then all of a sudden something will float to the top. It's her pinky toe. Yeah. Exactly. So there is kind of that kind of gross-out humor, but again, it doesn't overstay its welcome, and it's used very sparingly. So. Mm, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. But I think you should check it out. I, again, it's a comedy, so you just rate it on how much it makes you laugh. And for that, gangbusters. So. Okay. See if you say so. Yeah. Um, it's by mm. the same creator who did a Better Off Ted. So. I can't remember that show. <laughs> I'm sure they loved it on the AV Club or whatever and say like, oh no, what happened to Better Off Ted and <laughs> exactly. Happy Endings and eight other shows I'll never watch. <laughs> yeah, so I, Better Off Ted, I'd be honest, I'll be honest, I never watched it, but it was always uh-huh. like, this seems like a show that would be right up my alley if only I had the time. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right, all right, all right. All right, all right. That's, that's yeah. the biggest reaction I ever get at, Greg, on a spotlight, so. It's about, on a spotlight about, you know, gross-out humor that I don't like. <laughs> Mercy uh, me. Frump, yes. Heavens to Murgatroyd. Yeah. I was not expecting should, I this. I should also explain, yes, for, for any new, any first-time listeners, hello, welcome. <laughs> Thank you for making it this far. <laughs> Would you probably explain hero. that I'm a huge brute. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Greg is square as Uma Thurman. In that car in uh, Pulp Fiction. Yeah, like a cube. I am that square. <laughs> but Greg, if they have made it this far, mm-hmm. I think we should give them a call to action, shall we? Absolutely. We're selling Herbalife. And <laughs> listen, this stuff will help you lose weight. You'll feel energized. You'll feel, you'll feel just like Drew Barrymore in the Santa Clarita diet. You'll have a new lease on life. So here, take our Invigoron system. We have the blueberry shake. We also have strawberry banana. And then soak it down with some fight milk. Yeah. <laughs> you picked up my uh, It's Always Sunny reference. There you go. But anyway, no, we're not, we're not in a pyramid scheme. Instead, we're in a different kind of scheme, a social media scheme. It's a reverse funnel system, you see. Yeah. <laughs> Turn it upside down. <laughs> no, we're talking about social media. Yes. We need your data. So mm-hmm. please like our page. Yep. You'll follow get, us on Twitter. You'll get all the most exciting fake news if you follow mm-hmm. us on Facebook and Twitter. Yeah. Again, fake news like our like our pyramid scheme that we have set up. Um, Be the first to know what Russian bots are sharing when you like our page. Absolutely. Um, you know, Privyet, muy drug. Ita Greg, you know, sharing sharing status updates. That's all the Russian I know. (laughs) And then once you've done that, go Mm -hmm. to your podcast service of choice and hit that subscribe button. Just punch that subscribe button. 
and smack it like a, like a total vengeance just absolutely like you like it's like it like it's killed your family just absolutely nail that like button mm-hmm. and then nail that subscribe button rate us five stars so you can help other people find us it'll give us more prominence and we can go viral yeah you don't catch the virus but <laughs> do go viral <laughs> John, if somebody likes all the jokes that we've just uh, that we've just thrown out there to the public, mm-hmm. and they want to say, "Hey, great job, guys!" You know, they they've they've affirmed us through their like on Facebook, through their follow on Twitter, and their subscription on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever, what have you. Mm-hmm. What if they want to tell us personally, though? Well, they can reach out to us by finding us at AspiringSnubs at gmail dot com. Yeah, send us recommendations. Say what you thought of Agira: The Wrath of God. Yeah, um, if you saw it, I've, I'm not sure a lot of people have, but. <laughs> I think we sold it to them, John. I, I hope you'll agree. I, Greg, we can sell water to a uh, shoot. A good <laughs> metaphor goes here. Okay, <laughs> fix it in post. Fix it in post. <laughs> we can sell blueberry banana shakes to <laughs> even the most unthirsty of Orange County moms. <laughs> we can sell. Bananas to a monkey. Wait, no, that doesn't work because monkeys already love bananas. Fuck, this is so hard. <laughs> well, but they have the banana. I know. We'll we'll workshop it later. <laughs> okay. Again, we we need time to plan. Speaking of planning, John, we do have our next episode planned out. Yes, we do. Next week, it's it's a very special episode. We're going to be revisiting on Golden Pond. Well, John, what's so special about On Golden Pond? Oh, well, it's part three of our On We series, <laughs> where we examine what it's like to get older. And get slow, as we slowly and slowly get released from this mortal coil. <laughs> you you felt that you felt like that was really exemplified by cat people. Yes, I thought so too. <laughs> okay, now you're pulling themes out of your ass, but that's that's fine. You know what? You keep that up. Okay, I, I, Greg. Again, if you can't come up with a theme, just make one on the fly. All right, I'm yeah. real good at that. Obviously, yeah, clearly. <laughs> well, thank you everybody for listening. And until next time, keep aspiring. Yeah.